If you have a copy of the Bible with you this morning, turn with me to the 119th Psalm. It's good praying, Todd. Psalm 119, verses 49 through 64, together this morning with the church. I miss singing together and and praise, but it does give me a little extra time. (laughs) I have uh, much of my heart in this scripture. This is a scripture that I, I personally, just in my personal time with the Lord, have been in the Psalms for... Uh, somewhere around a year now, and I have returned to the 119th Psalm, and really in this particular spot, the Lord uh, continues to, each time I pass it, there's been a couple of times in the last year that that the Lord just kind of caused this to jump off the page at me and, and began to chase it around in my heart. Particularly, verse 57, the Lord is my portion. But I've added a little bit to that. This morning, I aspire, I talk about the extra time, <laughs> one of my favorite preachers is, is a man named Malcolm Ellis, and I have listened to many, many of his sermons, and I've sat under him preaching in person several times, and he has preached the Word of God for almost as long as I've been alive. Of course, I'm only 29, <laughs> but uh, I aspire to be like him, I've heard him a couple of times recently, say that the Lord has delivered him from having to say everything he knows every time he stands behind the pulpit. And he said his sermons have become like a loaf of bologna. You can just chop them off anywhere. And I thought, well, that's, that's the way to be. That's good stuff. We're going to talk this morning together about the sufficiency of Scripture, the efficacy of Scripture, and the authority of Scripture. If... You are a believer. The title of this sermon, in fact, is the benefits for the believer in, the, in the reading the Word of God. Uh, just like everything that the Lord does for us, he, he does that to glorify His own self, and we recognize that. The Lord made these decisions before the foundations of the world to save His church, and He did that out of, out of a love for His own self, the, the perfect love and, and unity within the Trinity itself. The Lord Jesus went to the cross out of, out of His perfect love and respect for the Father to say, I'm going I'm to cleanse this church that it may come to you perfect and spotless. That's all within the Trinity. And yet, in His mercy... And as grace, there are benefits in that for the believer. He's a a kind and good God. He's been very kind to me. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, regenerated today, He has been very, very kind to you. In fact, even if you are not, He has been kind to you. You are breathing His air. You're eating his animals and his grass. He's allowing you to experience love, to be in love with a husband or a wife or a, or a child or a parent. All those things are good things and they all come from the Lord. Let's pray. 
Father God, we, we do come before you as a church, as a, as a body of believers this morning, and I just pray over this word, and I confess out loud before you and before this church body that this word belongs to you. This is your word, Lord. And I, I have a desire in my heart, Father, to, to always have in, 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 at the forefront of my heart and on my mind, Lord, that it's not me that is vindicated. It's you, Lord. When you reveal yourself, and there will be a day, Lord, according to your word, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus, that he is Lord. And on that day, Lord, I've, I've just kind of been meditating on that and you're and you showing me, Lord, that that's, you're not going to twist those unbelievers' arms behind their back and force them to say that. They're going to say it because they're going to believe it in their heart. It's going to just flow out of their mouth, Lord, because they are going to know. But you've been kind to me. You've, you've revealed yourself to me in your word before that day. It'll be too late for them on that day. And so, God, I praise you. And I confess that this is your word. And I pray, Father, that you'd set me aside, that you wouldn't let my sinfulness, my sin, stand in the way of your word going out in power. And I know that that's within your will because you protect your word. You say that it will never return to you void or empty. And so, God, you do your work. And have your will with your people today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The sufficiency of Scripture. We heard on the 19th Psalm this morning, the, Lord, the law of the Lord is perfect. That word perfect there is is not perfect as in comparison to imperfect. It is, it is perfect. It is inerrant. We, we stand on that as a church. Uh, but, but it's more along the lines of it's perfect in comparison to incomplete. It's complete. The law of the Lord that He gives, that he gives us, His Word is everything that we need for salvation. It's everything that we need for sanctification. It's everything that we need for life. It says that it's able to, to, to make us wise unto salvation. I have gone back and forth over my time of, of following, being a Christ follower. From time to time, he'll remind me and bring me back to that place where, where I suddenly see the gospel again in its, in its newness. Does that make sense? All of a sudden, the gospel comes alive to me again, and I say, oh, that wasn't a one-time experience for me to, as a believer, consider that Christ Jesus, God Almighty, through whom all things were created and, and through whom all things are sustained to this day by the power of His Word, that He loved me and died for me that He paid my sin debt, that He makes me right with God, that He satisfied the wrath of God on my behalf, that I can stand in Christ Jesus with confidence. All of that comes fresh and anew to me by the, by the reading of His Word. Scripture's sufficient. 
In second Corinthians, in first Corinthians, pardon me, chapter two, verses one through six, where where Paul is dealing with the Corinthians, the 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 people at the church at Corinthian at Corinth, which by the way, were just like us. They were just like us. They were just people. Nothing's changed. Nothing new under the sun, says Ecclesiastes. Paul says this to the church at Corinth. And when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or with wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And then verse 6 says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. And so Paul's, Paul's instruction to the church there is, is to cut off the wisdom of men. Cut yourself loose from the cords from the wisdom of men and rather take in the Word of God. The Scripture is sufficient. It's all you need. It's perfect. It's complete. It's pure and clean. It's not that men's wisdom doesn't have something for us to offer. There's lots of things in the world that, that the Lord has allowed. We were talking about, my wife and I were talking about the miracles of God. Uh, you know, there's a group of people that, uh, I can't think of what they're, the continuationists that still believe in all these miraculous things going on around them and and. and uh, you know, I think, well, why don't we see it then? I mean, are they that much closer to the Lord? But the truth is, we see miracles all around us. There are still miracles going on. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that the Lord allowed a man the understanding and the intelligence to create an aircraft that we can pile two or three hundred people in and fly them across the ocean in a matter of hours. That's a miracle. He has allowed man the understanding to, to, to cut a man open and get inside his guts. I mean, what kind, of, what kind of lunatic would say that that's not miraculous? He has allowed mankind to do all sorts of things that are good. They benefit us. We, we use those things to our benefit, even as believers. In fact, the Lord Jesus, here's something strange. The Lord said in Luke 16 uh, that, that a lot of unbelievers are wiser in their ways than the people of God are in His ways. He uses this in uh, Luke chapter 16. He says, and He said also to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought against him, so that the man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in your account of your management, for you no longer can be a manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from him? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. That goes along with what my dad used to say to me. He'd say, You're in trouble, boy, because you're too lazy to work and too nervous to steal. He says, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. And I, I have decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So he summoned the master's debtors one by one, and he said, How much do you owe my master? 
a hundred measures of oil, he said. Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat. Take your bill, sit down, and write quickly eighty. And then here's what, here's what the Lord said. And the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world, he said, are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. What could be accomplished by us if we were, as the people of God, as serious about chasing after holiness and, and being pleasing before the Lord as the lost world is serious about chasing after wealth and power? Look at what the politicians are doing right before our eyes right now. That's their God. Their own selves are, are their God. Power is their God. Money is their God. They are wearing us out with their pursuit of money and power. And I must admit my own complacency which is this far from contentment in my pursuit of righteousness. Paul says to the Corinthians, man's philosophy is bankrupt. The Scripture is sufficient. God's Word is sufficient. When he, when he says there in verse 6 about the mature man, he said, I'm, I'm imparting wisdom to the mature. I want, I want to make clear that that, that Scripture is not, not making a difference between a new believer and a seasoned believer because he goes on in verse 14 to talk about the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. So it's, he's just talking about as mature. He just means a believer. The believer has the discernment given from the Holy Spirit through the Scripture. He illuminates those things to him or her. And so that Scripture's not talking about, uh, well, he's a, he's a new believer, so he just doesn't get it. No, he's talking about a believer. If you've got the Spirit of God in you, he is revealing truth. Scripture's sufficient. It all culminates in verse 16. It says, The mind of Christ. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. As a believer, it is, it is the utmost of benefits to me. I have the mind of Christ available to me in the written Word of God. What could be more sufficient for me as a... As a as a pursuer of holiness, as a pursuer of righteousness, as a follower after God, what could be more sufficient to me than for me to be able to understand the way Jesus thinks? There couldn't be anything more sufficient than that. To know the mind of Christ. Scripture is not only sufficient, we'll also discuss today the efficacy of Scripture. Paul calls it the effectual word. It has an effect on us. It's powerful, moving. Everyone goes to 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16 when we're discussing the Scripture. And how from childhood it says there, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on the famous Scripture. We all know it. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. I don't have to go back to the Greek. I don't have to have a seminary 
understanding or seminary education to just look at that and, and, and it's just plain, it's clean. We just read, or Todd read the Psalm 19. It says, the, the fear of the Lord is clean. That means it's clear. It's not hard to understand. There's a progressive church movement where these people come out and say, well, the, if anybody says that they understand the exact interpretation of Scripture, they're arrogant. They're full of pride. And I'm too humble to say that I know what the Word of God means in every situation. You can. It's unknowable. Well, that's not what God says about His Word. He says it's clean. It's plain to see. Now, I understand there's a, there's a cloaking there. There's a mystery that, the, that the, the flesh can't get. The Spirit of God must illuminate to us. But once you're regenerated, hey, He's just plain as easy as cake, as my wife's blonde co-worker says. It's easy to see in 2 Timothy 3 the work of the Word, salvation, teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Psalm 19 says the commandment is pure and it's for the enlightening of the eyes. When the believer reads the Bible, when the believer takes in the sustenance of the Word of God, when we feed ourselves on this bread from heaven, He opens our eyes. He causes us to understand. He changes us. He transforms us. There's power in the Word. It's effectual. It's dunamis. The Word carries with it the omnipotence of God. It's His very Word. It's His very Word. And it carries the omnipotence of God with it to me by the work of His Spirit. In Romans chapter 12, another scripture we're all very familiar with, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. You can hear Him begging, listen to me. I'm appealing to you by the mercies of God right now. He's saying, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an importance. Don't delay in this. I'm appealing to you. Right now is the time. Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Another scripture says, by the washing of the water of the Word. That you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect? That word transformed. I'm sure you've heard before, if you've been a believer for very long at all, is the word uh, that we get metamorphosis from in the English language. So he says, be not conformed, which is the putting on of a mask. It's it's the believer. He's telling the believer, don't put on a mask and act like you're something that you're not. So in other words, you have been, to the believer, he says, regenerated. You're a new creation. God has transformed you in reality. You are literally immersed into the body of Christ. You are in Christ Jesus. It's a reality for you. It's a, it's a work that God has done. He doesn't fail. 
He doesn't seek, he doesn't go out and try and make an attempt and then not accomplish that thing. He says, this is a reality. Don't put on a mask and pretend to be something you're not. You're different, he says. But the opposite of that, be ye transformed, be metamorphosized, be metamorphoso, I think is the word. Be a different creature. Come out looking like something different. The same word is used, and I didn't know this until this study, I guess. I don't remember ever running into this. It's the same word in the transfiguration. On the holy mountain that that Peter and James and John, matter of fact, I've got it here. After six days, Jesus took them. This is uh, Matthew chapter, I don't see what it is. 17, I think. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. We watched some goofy TV show and, and, and uh, the ladies are, are real proper and, and, and when they're at dinner and the ladies will get up and, and go to the powder room. I would go powder my nose. My face is shiny. <laughs> and I get that. I mean, I've seen a shiny face before. Right? My face gets shiny from, from oil and grease smearing stuff on my face. I get a shiny face sometimes. But but he was transfigured. He was, he was metamorphosis into something that he was not. When those men looked over there, it said his face shone like the sun. That he was in Second in Peter, he said that, that he saw him in his glorified state. He was able to, to catch a glimpse there by the mercies of God of, of the Lord Jesus in his glory. And so he was different. His face shone like the sun. It says his clothes were, were white, became white as light. Do you, get, do you pass these cars on the highway today with the blue headlights? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I just want to swerve over there and take <laughs> us all out. Here's what you've done. Good job. Now you've killed us all. The Scripture is sufficient. It's effectual. Scripture also has authority. The authority of the Scripture is what we're talking about today. In Psalm 119, verse 39, he says, Your rules are good. And as I studied that and meditated on it, I came across this note that said, The very attributes of God become the characteristics of Scripture. You're reading through Scripture, and, and in, verse, in uh, the 119th Psalm, and I won't read all these right now, but I'll tell you the verses. In 42, verse 42 says the, the Scripture's trustworthy. In 43, 142, 151, 160 says the Scripture's true. In verse 86 says the Scripture's faithful. In verse 89, the Scripture's unchangeable. In verse 90 and 152, the Scripture is eternal. In verse 105, the Scripture is light. In verse 140, the Scripture is pure. Those are the attributes of God. He is revealing, like we've already said, the mind of Christ. 
And so the, the very attributes of holy God come alive to us in the Scripture. There's an authority there because it belongs to Him in the, hundred, in the 19th Psalm that Todd read. If you look through those, those six lines of Scripture that are really... There's 175 verses of Scripture in the 119th Psalm that are all the praising the Scripture. He's talking about his, his admiration, his honor for the Scripture, how much he craves the Scripture and is hungry for it and, and thirsts after it. This is, this is where my sustenance comes from. And then in the 19th Psalm, all that is, is really just condensed into six lines of Scripture, or six lines in three Scriptures. And if you, if you look at there, he says, of the Lord, of the Lord, of the Lord, of the Lord. If you've sat under Josh's preaching for very long, you, uh, you immediately see that and you say, of Yahweh, of Yahweh, of Yahweh. This is Yahweh's Word. It came from Him. It belongs to Him. There is an authority that Yahweh has that follows anything that comes from Him. We read 2 Timothy chapter 3 a while ago, and it says the Scripture is God-breathed. When I receive... Now think about this, because this is deep. When I receive Scripture, when I hear Scripture, it is something from outside coming in. It's entering my ears and coming in and transforming my heart from the outside in. God is making a, the effectual Word. He is rooting out what is inside of me and replacing it with something external, outside of me. But it says, it's God breathed. He exhaled that. That is from within Him. He is releasing what is inside of Him. Jesus makes that correlation to us when He said, out of the abundance of the heart, so speaks the mouth. In other words, whatever's inside of you, that stuff's going to come spewing out. You can't hold it back. You cannot hold it back. The Word is true. When Jesus said that, He knew. I have, I have been openly and outwardly with my lips to the Lord. Thank you for your mercy because, let me be transparent before the church, I have uh, explosions of anger. Galatians calls them fits of rage and uh, outbursts of wrath. I just get so mad, and it just gets away from me. But here's what I've been thankful for. Over the last several years, and of course, if you've, if you've known me very long, you've probably seen me do it. My wife has seen me do it a couple of times. But over the last several years, like, like one comes to my mind right now, I, I mean, I, the Lord's just reminded me of it. I was unloading a trailer full of sticks, and I pulled on a stick, and I don't know if you know about kinetic energy, 
but it was like a, it was like a catapult stick that the Lord had propped back against the leg of a trailer. And I pulled on a different stick that was the release mechanism that the Lord had set up. And the Lord's catapult stick come around there, and, I, and it's, about, it's weather about like this. And I didn't have any gloves. I was already mad because I didn't have any gloves. And I mean, it couldn't have been more perfect. The Lord set this thing up so perfectly. It got eight out of ten knuckles at I don't know how many feet per second this stick was traveling when it swung around. And I mean, I came unglued. I came unglued. But after it was over with, and I went inside my building, and, and I sat down, you know, and, and, and it was like I, I had to go before the Lord, and this is just one of a few times, and say, Lord, thank you. Even though that was sin against you, and I repent, I, I lay that sin at your feet, even though you don't deserve it. That's all I have to offer you. But thank you for protecting your own name in that we were alone When you let that come out of me, it was just you and me, Lord. You didn't let anybody see how foolish I am. Scripture benefits me as a believer. Scripture transforms me. It's powerful. It comes with the authority of Yahweh into my heart. John MacArthur says this, This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way to salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrine is holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be saved, practice it to be holy. That's a good word. Well, the 119th Psalm, I ask you to turn there. If you're ready for those scriptures, let it, say, let it be known by saying, Amen. Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me, that I have kept your precepts. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think of my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes.
The Word of God is, this is certainly not an all-inclusive list, but I have, I have pulled some, some benefits for the believer in reading the Word of God. He, he brings us confidence. He brings us comfort. He brings us counsel. And He brings us companionship. And He brings us contentment. In verse 49, look there at at the Scripture with me. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. The word of God for the believer brings with it the benefit of confidence for me. I I can walk through this life with confidence when I'm reading my Bible. Now, I'm not talking about arrogance I'm not talking about uh, uh, sinful cockiness. I'm not talking about uh, uh, pride that comes from my own self. I'm talking about knowing the Scripture and having that Scripture live inside of me and live itself out of me in my actions. If the Word of God is transforming me, then my actions change because of this knowledge. It brings me confidence in prayer. It brings me confidence in life. And it brings me confidence in witness. Notice there what, what the psalmist says. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. I think it's a wonderfully God-honoring thing for me to go to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, I'm only asking you to keep your word. That's all I'm asking you to do. I'm not stepping outside of what you have plainly shown me in your word is your will. I'm only asking you to keep your word. I can say that prayer in confidence because I already know from his word that he's going to. I know that he's honored when I ask him to do that. The writer of Hebrews likens in, the, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, he's, he's, he's coming in the, and the context is he's reminding the people in that church body of, of the Israelites in the desert. And he's saying, look, there's a group of people that did not believe God's Word. And God said to them, you're not going to go into my rest. And he's reminding them of that. And he's saying, don't be like those people. Don't hear the Word and then not believe it. Believe this Word. It's the Word of God. Let us therefore strive, in verse uh, 11, beginning in 11, says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. That's the efficacy of Scripture piercing to the division and soul of spirit and the joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then here's the confidence that he has in saying all these things. He says, let us then with confidence 
draw near to the throne of grace that, me, that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. When you know God's Word, you know His will. You know, I cannot... Uh, I hear people pray. Let me, let me just be transparent with you again. I hear people pray a lot, and I, and I get this, and I, and, I, and I want to be there, honestly. I hear people pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Get us out of here. I'm tired. And, there's, and there's, a, there's a place for that. I think that's scripturally right to pray that. But you want to know the honest truth? Let me be transparent. Let me share where I am with you. I can't pray that prayer even though I know that it's the will of God. I can't pray that because I have a son that I don't know if he knows the Lord. I don't trust. Even though he says he does. I have a son and a daughter-in-law. And I cannot imagine. I know that God's grace is sufficient. And I know, you know, there's a scripture in Psalm that says, the people of God will, will laugh at the judgment of sinners on that day. I know that God is glorified. He is just as glorified. Now listen to this. In, in the judgment of a sinner as He is in the saving of a sinner. God is glorified and holy in all things that He does and feels and, 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 and is. I can't imagine. I can't imagine going to heaven without my child. And so I long for, I long for the day that I can pray that. And so when I do pray, and that comes, I say, Lord, please, let me, give me the opportunity to praise You and worship You. Let my eyes see the fruits of regeneration on my son and my daughter-in-law. Prove to me, Lord, please, that You have chosen to love them in Your own purposes and according to Your own will before the foundations of the world. And do it just like You did me. To the uttermost. Saved to the uttermost. Even though I can't pray, Lord, come Jesus now, hurry. I can't pray that out loud with my lips, even though I know that that's okay. That's, that's a right thing to pray. It's also a right thing to say, Lord, save your children. I know that's His will too because He says He's not going to leave any behind. I didn't expect to say that. There's confidence in prayer. There's confidence in life when I know God's Word. Romans 8, 28. I'm, I'm saying all these Scriptures that everybody knows. I mean, I've got a plaque hanging in my bathroom at the shop that has this Scripture. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. If we do not pray as we ought, the Spirit Himself intercedes 
And then verse 28, I'll jump forward to 28, says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good. I can have confidence in life when I know the Word of God. When I'm, when I'm saturated in the Word of God. When I've been reading my Bible. That's really what this is about, folks. That's really what this is about for me. And so I must believe that it's really what it's about for you. Is if you belong to the Lord, you're supposed to be reading your Bible. You're not going to make it otherwise. Well, I shouldn't say it that. I said that wrong. You're going to struggle. You're going to put yourself through a bunch of garbage that's not necessary. It's not even a one, two, three step easy process. It's a one step. Read your Bible. The Lord will do His work. You get saved and read your Bible. Repent and believe and read your Bible. I don't even have to say pray because if you start reading your Bible, the next thing you know, you'll be praying. It just comes out. It just happens because of the transforming power that lies in the Word of God. Circumstances don't regulate your mood. When you're reading your Bible, there's a rock and roll song that says, The way I feel so much depends upon the weather. <laughs> I can kind of relate to that. Uh, I allow circumstances, the struggles of life that are never going to stop, I allow them too often to set my mood. When the Bible plainly tells me, cleanly tells me, all things come together for my good. There's a benefit for me that God has built into every circumstance I will face. Every one of them. There's confidence in prayer, confidence in your life. There's also confidence in witness. Let me read the Scripture again. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. You want to have confidence in your witness? You don't think you know enough? In Acts chapter 18, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through, grace had been, who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Now this intrigues me, because we have it in Scripture, we have it in, in the Holy Spirit-inspired Scripture, this man didn't know it all. He, was, he didn't have everything down. And yet, the Bible says he was, 
he was, he was eloquent and he was competent in the Scriptures and he taught accurately. But then we see, well, he's pulled aside and he's still teachable. He doesn't have a, he doesn't have a prideful arrogance about him. But yet, he had a confidence in his witness because the Scripture that he did know flowed out of him correctly. None of us are through learning. None of us are through repenting. None of us are through being sanctified. I have a, I have a Bible that I carried for uh, 16 or 17 years, I believe. And there's a note in the front of it. Or no, there's a note in, uh, oh... I, I want to say it was Matthew chapter 12, but I, I may be wrong about that. But there's a note somewhere in that Bible that says, First message, uh, such and such date, 1998. And I occasionally put, I've, I've had this Bible five or six years or something, and I occasionally will get that Bible out and kind of look through it again and, and you know, kind of reminisce and go back to that old Bible that I carried. And I ran across that note one time about a year ago, and I thought, what could I have possibly been saying in 1998 that was right? I mean, I'd only been saved for a year or, or maybe a year and a half. What could I have possibly preached? I couldn't even remember. I was reading the Scripture and I thought, I, I have no idea what I preached that day. But... But, but I was saved to the uttermost. I know that. When God saved my wife and I, they didn't have to promise free pizza to get us to come to church. Okay? It didn't matter what the children's program was. None of that made any difference. We were hungry to learn the next thing. Teach us, Lord. What's next? We have tasted Your goodness. And all we want to know is you. Change me. Transform me. Not only do we have confidence, but we get comfort from reading the Scripture. As a believer, we get comfort. Verse 50, This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. Verse 52, when I think of your rules from old, I take comfort, O Lord. Verse 76, jumping ahead of where we were, let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise. Verse 82, my eyes long for your promise, and I ask, when will you comfort me? The very ministry of the Holy Spirit of God is to come alongside me, to, to encourage me, to He's, he's my seal. He reminds me that I'm saved. He continually reminds me through the Word of God that I am in Christ Jesus. When I am afflicted, when, I am, when I'm chastised by the Lord for my own sinfulness, that is a temporary time. And then He draws me to Himself and the Holy Spirit of God comforts me and says, yes, I, I accept your repentance and I'm moving you on because this is not a work you're doing, this is a work I'm doing. I 
am transforming you. You belong to me. I'm comforted in that. Jesus said in John chapter 14, Truly I say, whoever believes in me, I will do the and will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Then jump to verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you a helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. When the believer reads the Word of God, he comforts us. He reminds us who we are. We are in Christ. Not only comfort, confidence and comfort, he brings us counsel. I feel like I'm running a little bit long. I'm going to jump forward a little. Verse 53, hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked. Verse 55, I remember your name in the night, O Yahweh. The very attributes of God become the characteristics of, of Scripture. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, He makes wise the simple. The Word of God counsels me. When I have the Word of God inside of me and I've been reading my Bible as a believer, it's, He counsels me there. He brings me discernment. In Proverbs chapter 1, we, we learn a lot of, in the Proverbs, there's a lot about the wise and the fool. There's, only, there's really only two kinds of people on the earth. That's it. There's the wise and the fool. There's the sheep and the goats. There's the saved and the lost. That's, that's it. To know wisdom instruction and to understand Proverbs 1, 2 through 7. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the, to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase. That, that word there for... For the wise, it carries with it an understanding of a closed door. The wise man, when we take in the Word of God and he counsels us through his Word, he, he gives us discernment of when to close the door of our mind. The, the, the fool is naive. He's ignorant. He's, he's stupid. Praise God for the writers of the ESV Bible. <laughs> I taught a... I taught an adult Sunday school class for about five years, and, and, and there was a prominent community lady, a Marlowe outlaw, who, would, who, who had the liberty, she was a little bit older than me, and, and so she had the liberty to scold me from time to time while I was teaching because I would say something was stupid. And she had young children, or fairly young. The class was uh, parents of the high schoolers. That's the way they did it at that time. And she would say, well, I don't let my kids say stupid. That's, that's kind of harsh, you know. And so out of respect for her, I tried to 
I tried to reel that in a little bit. But I noticed as soon as I got an ESV Bible, in fact, I, I searched for it. There's 12 times, 12 times the Scripture in the ESV translator said, the fool is stupid. Now, I'll tell you this. That lady is my customer now, and I can still consider her a friend, even though she scolded me in front of people. And uh, she, she was in the building not too long ago, and, and there was a man that was alone. He was alone. He didn't have a helper. And he borrowed my forklift to push a dead vehicle up onto a trailer. And I said, I don't know how big of a hurry you're in, but we might ought to stand out here and watch this. I mean, this, this might be entertaining. Because I don't know what his plan is to stop that vehicle if it gets away. And I said, I remember that you don't want me to call him stupid. And she said, oh, we say that all the time now. My kids are 22 and 23. <laughs> said, we, we learned that we say stupid all the time now. I thought that was funny. The Word of God brings me counsel and discernment to know when to close the door of my mind. The world says that the woke individual is open-minded. Well, you're, you're not open-minded. You're not woke. You're not progressive enough. The Bible says the fool has his mind open at all times. He's open to every wind of doctrine. One thing comes, and then the next fad comes, and that one goes, and here comes another. The wise man has discernment to close his door and say, no, I see at a glance that doesn't line up with the Bible, the authoritative Word of God, and so I'm closing my mind to that. I don't need to hear your debate or your argument. It's done. That's the difference in the wise and the fool. It brings us counsel in Psalm 19, and this may be my favorite part of the whole lesson as I studied it. Psalm 19, you have six titles for Scripture, six characteristics of Scripture, and then six benefits for Scripture. Todd read in the call to worship. The, the titles for Scripture are law, testimony, precepts, commandment, fear, and rules. Now this fear stood out to me because I thought, I, I believe, and my wife and I talk about this all the time, that's what's missing today in, in the Western church that we see all around us is the fear of the Lord. That word fear is another word for honor. It's a manual for worship. And boy, that's what I need. I need, I need to take in God's Word so that I might understand how to, the right way to, present myself before a holy God. Because there's a right way, and then there's a thousand wrong ways. If we go back to the, the first mention rule, the first mention of worship is Cain and Abel. And he says that uh, Adam knew his wife. This is in Genesis chapter 4. Adam, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain. said, I have gotten a man with the help from the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought 
of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was angry, and his face fell. The King James says his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now, our, our immediate reaction is to say, and I've heard it preached this way, is to say that, well, there must be a blood sacrifice. He didn't offer the right sacrifice because it wasn't a blood sacrifice. And the, and the blood sacrifice goes jumps forward and that's a shadow of things to come and represents the Lord. But we see grain offerings later. He done his best. I mean, I want to say, heck, that's just what he had. I mean, he was a farmer. He didn't have sheep. He had what was available to him. I mean, I get cheap oil changes because I have a bunch of oil and filters. We have what's available to us. The problem with the sacrifice that he brought was that sin was crouching at his door. He brought a sacrifice that wasn't a sacrifice of praise. It wasn't in spirit and in truth. Notice the first thing he does is he gets angry about it. He doesn't repent. I mean, I have, I have done things for the Lord that I saw later. That wasn't right. That wasn't right. I did that. In fact, I was a little bit, I was nervous about preaching this. And I had to, I had to spend some time with the Lord saying, Lord, don't let me stand up there and talk about morality because I have studied the Bible for the sake of my knowledge and and. and my pride for the sake of knowing more than the guy next to me rather than I want to know you, Lord. We've got to move forward. Contentment, verse 54. Your statutes have been my songs in the days of, in the house of my sojourning. Verse 57. The Lord is my portion. I really, this is the verse of Scripture that the Lord stood out to me several times. I really wanted to call this message the prosperity gospel. <laughs> I couldn't make all the points start with P. All I could come up with was C's. It's, but here's the truth of it. It is prosperous for me to be right with God. He prospers me in this. That's the part of the prosperity gospel that's right. He does prosper me. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. When I am financially prosperous, the Word of God reminds me, brings me contentment that says, that's really not where my security is. Yes, I like it. I'm happy, I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied, I'm thankful for what you've given me, but that's not my portion, Lord. You are my portion. 
the Word of God brings contentment when things are bad. You know, this is the, probably the most pulled out of context Scripture in the world is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The context, there's finances. He says, I can be, I'm able to be both abased and to abound. When everything's falling to pieces, you know what the Lord took from me one time? My tithe. I was proud of my tithe. It was the first thing, and I'm thankful that the Lord, that was the first act of obedience that the Lord ingrained in my heart was, was honoring Him with what He had given me. And I've always, I don't know how you believe about tithes, whether you think it's passed away or not. I, none of that matters to me. I know what, what the Lord would have me to do, and I've always been a tither. I've always been, uh, and, and the Lord just, He gave that to, to Michelle and I both when we were at that, that brand new spot where we were just hungry to learn and, and be obedient the next thing. And the Lord took that from me. And I mean, there was literally, there was nothing to give. Literally. And it, uh, it hurt me. But then contentment came as I saw, I'm thankful for the affliction. You have afflicted me, but it's drawn me. I've learned that I was sinning in writing you a check. He doesn't need my money. The last thing, and, and I, I don't know if I'm running late or not. Am I running late? Okay. My wife's my timekeeper. I forgot it, so blame her. Uh, and this is a hard word. I can't, I can't not go past it. The Lord brings companionship. Not only does He bring confidence, comfort, counsel, contentment. I completely skipped correction. He also brings companionship. Look at verse 63 very quickly. I am a companion of all who fear you and those who keep your precepts. When I read my Bible, the Lord knits our souls together. We have covenanted, is that a word, covenanted? We have covenanted together. I expect you to rebuke me. I expect you, I need you to rebuke me, to encourage me. Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Now listen. I have, just like I've studied the Bible pridefully in my, in, in my life following Christ and, and been rebuked by Him and had to correct that, I have also been legalistic about church attendance. And He's grown me past that in times. But look at here. You cannot get past this truth. If you are a follower of Christ and you're reading His Word, you're going to be in church. You're going to be a companion of those who fear the Lord. 
You're going you're gonna to recognize someone who understands how to present themselves before a holy God. And you're going to, you know, after David said, David said, who is this man who defies the army of the living God? And they brought him before Saul and he said it again. And then the scripture says, Jonathan heard those words and he said, after he heard David speak, Jonathan's soul was knit to David's. And it carries with it an understanding like my grandma's crocheted blanket she used to have on her couch. If you pull on one string, you will completely undo that entire useless blanket that weighs 40 pounds and your toes stick out. (laughs) The psalmist David said, I was glad when it was time to go into the house of the Lord. The Word of God knits us together. You ever wonder how you're going to have fellowship with a 4th century... Asian, when you get to heaven, or a, or a sheep herder from the days of Job, how are you going to have fellowship with them? Because God's truth knits us together. I'm a companion of Him who fears the Lord.